This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Good morning, Connell. Welcome back. We, uh, Matt and I missed you last episode. We, we sort of dribbled around some topic, mm. that, but you know, got yeah, we off. didn't have you to keep us on track. That's I was right. going to say that it got a bit off track. <laughs> <laughs> I thought yeah. I'd better come back. Yeah, it's I, was great back. I was going to have another week off after last week. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Well, it's good to have you back, Matt. Great to be back in the studio yeah. as we uh, continue working through our Christian Worldview series uh, of mm. perspectives. And uh, man, we've we've covered some some fairly significant ground here. Uh, but today, Matt, you've got a particular thing you want to jump into here around, I guess, the limitations of our language, uh, of mm. doctrine, uh, of what we see as being uh, reality, uh, yeah. and yet uh, there's so much mystery beyond that for mm. us, and how we how we deal with that. And yeah, let me let me formulate uh, the issue, uh, so nobody panic in, in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, mm. uh, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the nature of theology and even the nature of the Bible, because. This is about perspectives, and I think this is a really important perspective. I've I've found this this really important to understand something, as I said, about the nature of theology itself. Now, let's start with the obvious obvious fact: is that when we read through the Bible, we have lots of different sorts uh, of li- literature. You know, we have the first five books of the Bible. You know, it has the laws, and but yep. a lot of it's narrative. Actually, there's a lot of story, and then and yes. even beyond that. It's a story and, uh, you know, with instructions. And then you've got like wisdom literature and you've got prophetic literature, which is conveys the heart of God in, in, in beautiful ways. And in our Thrive Deeper episode, you know, we work through all of that. And then you get to the New Testament. You've got the story of Jesus in the Gospels. Yep. And then you've got letters mm. written to. And then, you know, right up the end, you've got this sort of cryptic book of Revelation. At no, It's interesting to note that at no point uh, do we have a sort of a logically structured dissertation, abstract dissertation on theology. Mm. There's nothing like a systematic mm. theology. Now, perhaps, you know, the book of Romans perhaps gets gets close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there certainly are moments where Paul, the apostle, ex- expounds on certain key beliefs. But it's just interesting to note that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what, you know, subsequently in the history of the church, uh, what we created was... I guess a discipline that we call theology. Uh, theos is the word for God. Logos is mm. is actually the word you know for, for word or or, or mm. a, an area of study or you know. Mm. And so, particularly, uh, and it actually took a while for this discipline to emerge. It was through the um, in in the uh, Middle Ages. You know, people were asking questions about the text and and, and what it says about various aspects. Particularly interestingly, there was a particular way of thinking. A, a desire to think more systematically about reality uh, yeah. that was really came through the Greek tradition. And the, the Christian church was born into that tradition and was in conversation with people who were interested in that sort of thing and quite validly wanted to answer those questions and, and account for its beliefs, mm. you know, yeah. account for its worldview, as we've mm. been saying. And so gradually they constructed sort of volumes of theology that that systematically answered questions and actually quite literally you know put in a question and answer you know uh, yeah like uh, in in the works of P- Peter Lombard and and um and Thomas Aquinas you actually have question posed and then 
and then an answer given. And that's initially theology was all constructed mm. uh, in that form. You know, created this, as I said, yeah, this discipline. And through the Middle Ages, uh, there was a bit of a debate about, well, where do we get these ideas from? You know, and it was thought in the in the Catholic tradition that there were two sources of for Christian doctrine, two sources uh, upon which we can base, you know, the, you know, truth. And uh, one was the pronouncements of the Church, they thought, uh, and the other was. Scripture, yeah. and there, there's sense, you know, because you know Paul says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, right? So the prophets is the Old Testament, the apostles is yeah. is the New Testament. But in the in the Catholic tradition, they saw the apostolic authority as extending to, for example, the popes mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. or or church councils, yep. Uh, yep. official church councils, yep. and so they imbued that with a level of authority that mm-hmm. meant that there were things. That, that they felt that weren't against Scripture but not explicitly taught in Scripture that they mm. could add to that. And, and traditions. Yeah. Traditions, traditions, basically. So things like, you know, the Immaculate Conception of Mary and, mm. you know, the, the Assumption of Mary into mm. Heaven, you know, the intercession of Mary and the saints, and therefore mm-hmm. that led to, uh, you know, beliefs around, you know, pr- you know prayers to the saints yeah. and, you know, the notion of purgatory, for example, and, you know, various doctrines, I guess, were added. Now, of course, um, <clears throat> you know, we... Many of our listeners will know the history. This is famously was was what was uh, under contention in the Reformation period. Uh, Reformation period was a reaction, uh, first of all, to cor- corruption in the church. That was important, to, but mm-hmm. but also it was a reaction to all of this added stuff that got added on. So this is in the 16th century-ish. 16th, yeah. So so famously in 1517, you know, Martin Luther nailed his mm-hmm. 95 Theses yep. to the door yep. of the Wittenberg Cathedral yep. Church. And it was basically a, a protestation, this is where we get the word Protestant, it was a pro- protestation against the assumed authority of the church to add all of these extra mm-hmm. doctrines, mm-hmm. Um, but also the assumed authority of the church to be the sole source of forgiveness, institutional forgiveness, and, and even to the point of selling certificates mm. uh, of forgiveness. Yeah. And, and even the sole authority in the, in the interpretation of Scripture as well. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So right. I can interpret this and what I say is actually what it is. And look, I'm, I'm going to also defend yes, totally. this as well, because because I, you know, pro- Protestants have a ten- tendency to caricature the Catholic tradition yeah. as well. I think we're... You know, yeah. Because they would say, well... If you decide what it means for you, and you decide what it means for you, and then I decide what it means for me, then there's no—we're not united yeah. by any yeah. sense yeah. of the truth. And so the church is the interpreter of scripture. And in a way, there's an element of—I mean, you know, when I interpret the Bible, I make myself accountable mm. to uh, a—you know—the a worldwide scholarly community of Bible-believing scholars, yeah. and and I and I check that with them, and I make sure that what I'm. Uh, what I believe is in line with the historic mm. Christian faith. And so this is where the theology, mm. the, the work of theology in the past is really valuable because it is a wonderful repository of the interpretation mm. of Scripture. The, the problem is that through the Middle Ages that that was ascribed too much authority and so it could never be questioned. And mm. I think one of the important things about theology is that it it, it always questions itself. Mm. Now, there are certain things that we take as, you know, well, we've covered that, you know, like the Trinitarian controversies through, you know, in the early church from the sort of 200s right through to, um, uh, you know, the, the, even the 300s and 400s. And there are a lot of debates and clarification of that. And they ended up with something wonderful. Now, the interesting thing about the Trinitarian 
formulas, like, for example, in the Athanasian Creed, you can look, look that, that up. up. Uh, the Athanasian Creed is, a, is where pretty much the United Church got to. And one of the things I love about it is that it's full of mystery. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost putting a fence around the belief saying, and it expresses it in a way that protects the mystery. Because one of the problems is that people kept trying to explain the persons of the Trinity and the relationship with one another in a way that made more logical sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe just God turns into this and then he turns into mm-hmm. that and turns into that. Well, that makes more logical sense. But actually scripture doesn't describe it that way. So mm-hmm. it's a, it was the Trinitarian formulas were, were a, an attempt to express what scripture said about the persons, uh, the, uh, the persons of the Trinity, uh, without trying to squeeze it into a logical form. Mm. It's a logic. It's putting it into the logical into something we can logically understand. It's probably where most of the kind of yeah. the cult thinking of of either uh, rejecting any notion of the Trinity or going the other way and and turning the Trinity into. You mean you've got to say like something like say Jehovah's Witnesses that would deny the. <laughs> The Trinity outright, mm. and then you've got on the other side, you've got Mormonism that says, "Well, well, everyone's going to be gods." You know, yeah. you can kind of interpret yeah. all of those different things within yeah. that because actually, that's what it's hard to maintain a completely logical, <clears throat> it uh, is humanly understandable mm. thing. So we kind of go to one side or the other. We break it down into something that we can understand, so it fits our and then it is no longer, you know, it's no longer compatible with what mm. yeah. we actually meant to say. Mm. That's right. Yeah. And so this is a good example because it leads into what I want to talk about. So, yeah, there, there, there were these fundamental things that they laid down. We don't need to go back over that again. But, mm. you know, and so we inherit these, you know, these wonderful, all of this wonderful work that gets done. That's why I, I, I as, as a, a pastor and a teacher in the church, you know, I'm responsible for passing on uh, this wonderful heritage of Christian belief, all of this work. It's not for me to decide, oh, no, no, I don't think that's, mm. you know, I, like it's a corporate thing. Mm. And so it's not for me to decide what I believe and then everyone just, you know, follow my beliefs. No, no, my responsibility as a pastor and teacher in the church is to pass on uh, this mm. heritage of Wisdom. basically yeah. orthodox, mm. you know, Christian theology mm. and now, what happened, uh, as I said, in, in the time of the Reformation is that they were reacting to a lot of this stuff that was mm. added. And, and one of the decisions that they made is to say, well, one of the catch cries of the Reformation in, in Latin, sola scriptura, which meant scripture alone. So they affirmed that the Bible alone is the basis for Christian life and belief and not the pronouncements of the church. It has to be, you know, it has to be scriptural. So scripture alone, and and so they they went back over theology and people uh, like you know Martin Luther and John Calvin and, and others, and they you know constructed uh, a theology that was very much continuous with the past. They didn't change everything. Mm. They they just it's more like they they cut things out that you know that yeah. w- had been added, and it was it was a kind of purification process mm. a little bit um, and simplifying very much simplifying mm. things. And so only, you know, they would, they were basically pointing out, here's, here's what we know from scripture. And we, we can't really say any more than this. How did they make that work then? Because they must have had some, must have had some tradition in there somewhere. Oh, no, absolutely. No, they drew on all of the theology that went before. Like, you know, there was nothing, uh, like there was lots of good stuff there. I mean, I, 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 you know, from, from the work of Augustine, you know, through to the work of Thomas Aquinas in, you know, um, mm. 
uh, you know, around sort of thirteen hundred. Great, like really good, really some really good stuff there. And they and they drew on that. They drew on the creedal, the creeds, and the. So it was more the stuff that had been added by the church, yeah. in a sense that they discarded, and particularly and- in the later stages. Yeah, but that would have been they would have still been able to marry that up. With scripture, yes. that's right. Only Look, what they could marry up with scripture. That's but it's, wouldn't they have had to add some things like in order to even hold a church service? I mean, there's no prescription in in scripture to say this is how a service should run. Mm. You know, you've got to have an <clears throat> organ and three hymns or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Really? So there's tradition. They still would have had to ad- ad- adopt some kind of essentially the. And this is how I describe when people say, "What's the difference between your church and the Catholic Church?" Mm-hmm. You know. Um, uh, particularly Catholics t- tend to ask that question, and my answer is always, "Well, we, we we adopt a very simplified form of that. So so we we we've dispensed with a lot of the ceremony, the extra sort of ceremonial stuff, and and we've just simplified it down to prayer and worship mm-hmm. and and gathering together and um, the message. You know, we focus on the, on on the Bible and. Uh, learning from the Bible together and following Jesus together, and, mm. and and so we don't have the robes and the bells and the you know the bells and smells, yeah. uh, so to speak. Now, actually, there's nothing no. necessarily wrong with a lot of those things, no. uh, but you know, during the and this is probably another topic because this gets this mm. takes yeah. us to the area of liturgy, and mm. and they really did want to simplify it right down. Mm-hmm. Um, and get back to the real basics, the core basics, and and you know, sort of purify worship in that sense. Yeah. And and they were referred to pejoratively as the Puritans. You know, they get in England at least, mm, right? Uh, because with the Protestant Reformation in England, they wanted to keep on with all of the all of the garb and all the grandeur and and all the you know, particularly in worship. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, anyway, but that's another that's another topic. Uh, but I think there the difference is that they would have. I guess in the Catholic Church, they they put tradition at the same level as Scripture. Yeah, that's right. Like we're, I guess, in Protestantism, we still have tradition, but Scripture mm. always sits over yeah, the top right. of it. Scripture. More or less, in broad brushstrokes. And I'm sure that there'd be qualifications that Catholic theologians would want to make to that. But that's that's how, that's mm-hmm. useful actually. Yeah. So, and, and and this is where I just want to move us just one step forward here. With moments like this in history, there, there can often be an overreaction. It's just human to overreact. Mm-hmm. And there was a sense in which, with that, trying to narrow things down, simplify things down, we're just going to, you know, what the Bible says, which is totally valid. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's a really important principle. Is that almost they almost wanted to shut reality down to that narrow band as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's what we know from Scripture. And there's no more to reality. That it's mm. that second step that's problematic. And this is where I think the orth- the Eastern mm. Orthodox tradition, I yeah. think, is uh, can can teach us something. And, and this is I actually value. You know, there are three main strands of Christianity in the world today. There's uh, w- we are in that Protestant strand that that split off from the Roman Catholic Church in 1500. Look, I should just quickly say that doesn't necessarily mean a negative thing. I mean, that there are moments, you know, there's a classic example in the book of Acts where Peter and Paul decided to go their separate ways. <laughs> and it actually meant greater diversity of ministry. You know, it, 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 it meant a greater spread. And, and I, I don't think that, uh, you know, I think actually the, the rise of the Protestant movement uh, was historically important, f- even for the Catholics. And, and I know that for Catholics, many will say, well, 
you know, we, we had a competitor. In, in, I know that in a sort of negative sense, but they saw some of the fruit that was being born in the Protestant movement. They think, oh, gee, maybe we should preach, like maybe we should focus on the gospel. <laughs> you know, and right. so they had, because yeah. it's not really healthy to be in a situation where no one ever questions you. Yeah. Uh, you, mm. you don't have that mm. accountability. Yeah. And, and it created a default notion of accountability. Now, look, that's not what I want to talk about again. Yeah. I can yeah. Yeah. keep getting off track. Yes. But so, so we're in this Protestant tradition. You've got the Catholic tradition uh, as well. But there's actually an older tradition that, that is the uh, Eastern Orthodox yep. tradition. And, you know, this is uh, the, the old Persian, mm. you know, churches in Persia to Syria, to Greece. And then it moved up into uh, from the Byzantium, uh, which is today um, Turkey, mm. it uh, Istanbul, you know, mm. went up into Russia, and and mm. so, you know, so we know it as the Greek Orthodox Church and the Russian Orthodox yeah. Church, and and one of the things that I appreciate about that tradition because I think we can all learn from each other, and I do look, I I, I make it, I, I'm I'm very Protestant, like I really am, yeah. and and I'm and I'm quite conservative. I mean, theologically conservative. I'm I'm so don't please don't take anything that I say today as being sort of theologically wishy washy. Mm. If, if anything, I'm quite mm. theologically. Uh, pedantic, partly because of the care that I want to take in passing on this tradition. It's not about me. I'm yeah, yeah. passing on a, mm-hmm. you know, a tradition. So, so I'm, I'm quite committed to not, as I often say, I'm really committed to not saying anything new. I, I will think of new and creative ways to try and say explain it. Yeah. Absolutely, mm-hmm. uh, but but I'm you know I'm not going to come up with anything. No. Yeah, it's not my job. Yeah. right. Yeah. So, but I do I do find find it really useful to look over the fence and you know yeah. and I, and we, you know we've talked for example mm-hmm. about. You know Thomas Merton, who's mm-hmm. a Catholic, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know Trappist monk, and mm-hmm. I mean it's just so much depth in there. Yeah. And yeah. and it was a reading that book, New Seeds of Contemplation, was a wonderful corrective to some of my evangelical um, mm-hmm. sort of biases. Yeah, you know, okay, wonderful. Same thing actually in the uh, Eastern Orthodox tradition. There's there's a wonderful embrace of mystery. Yeah, and um, they they have they they do have. You know, firm beliefs, but there's a there's a much greater openness to the mystery, not only the mystery surrounding those beliefs, but even the mystery in those beliefs mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah, and I I love that about the Eastern Orthodox yeah. tradition, and so famously the Eastern Orthodox tradition to somewhat sort of preserve that mystery, they use aesthetic. Well, you get that as soon as you aesthetic walk in. things. Yeah, yeah. So paint. they use paintings and 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 things that. You know they use icons, and and I, I know there's been a controversial element mm. of in you know, of history yeah. because you, you look and I, and I do and this is mm. uh, you know icons were a way of a visual visual theology, yeah. uh, and and they they depicted in visual form various elements of theology. You know, in in a typical icon, you uh, and and perhaps the listener can look up you know a, a, you know an icon you know maybe Christ Pantocrator or. Mm. Uh, you know, I, an icon of Christ, and every color, every hand gesture, mm-hmm. every symbol in the painting is a picture theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they they would talk about writing icons, and yeah. icon artists were never really known because it didn't matter. It's, it was that mm-hmm. they were there was a traditional way of depicting these things. Right. There was a sort of an orthodoxy mm-hmm. around how you depict these things. Yeah. And it was a way, and, and icons were seen as being a sort of a gateway, yeah. a window, really, a to window the divine, yeah. to, to the divine. They, yeah. they weren't, they were never intended to be worshipped, to be worshipped themselves. Yeah. They were meant to be a gateway yeah. uh, to worship. Now, I think, you know, and and it was acknowledging the fact that you know we need, as human beings, you know, we're sensory beings, and, mm-hmm. and we need that. Now, I, I still, 
as someone being very interested in art and, mm-hmm. and I I recognize the beauty of icons and but I'm I'm just a little too Protestant <laughs> to 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 go in for the use of icons in well certainly in corporate worship but in, even in, any, in even in my private worship right. I, I guess what I'm what I'm drawing from that tradition is is a sense uh, of the mystery yeah. uh, surrounding and you, that and you get that like as soon as you walk in it's designed to be yeah. it's designed to take you from the reality of the outside world into a space that is like. They've all got the dome and they've got all those paintings over the dome. So you kind of yeah. look up and it's and you've got the icons around and you've got all the other things. It's just designed on, on every level to I- impact you at a at a sense, sensory level. Yeah. So it's actually very different. When you come into their church, it's very different mm. than out, at, when you step outside. Yeah. It's not it's just visual it's a, either. It's audio. I mean, they sing. Oh, yeah, it's uh, gorgeous. Yeah. Mm, and, and, like, and, and they use incense. They, use, yeah, they, they, they appeal to all the senses. Sense. And it's actually yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. And mm. um, essentially what they're trying to do there is is the, a church is meant to be microcosm of yeah. a sort of spiritual universe. And so as, as worshippers, mm. they don't sit down. You stand in the midst of what they would refer to as a cloud of witnesses. Yeah. Mm. Right. And you take your place in a congregation. All the, all the elements on the wall of the rest of the mm. congregation, uh, they're just not present. You yeah. know, so the saints and, the, and yeah. whatever. Anyway. Um, Which actually is very different to the way that we do church because we yeah. try to make it in many ways similar to the outside so that when people come into the church, they actually yeah, feel right. like it's <laughs> yeah. it's all familiar and it, yeah, it's yeah. not – it's Yeah, not, it's you a know. good point. I know. And I think – this is the We've, this is the sort of stuff that I discuss, and 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 we could go right on yeah, another I, tangent I, I, here, and yeah, maybe come on, we Carl, will. You're one day. meant to be keeping yeah. us focused. That's <laughs> that's a really good point, and because I teach uh, faith and art, and yeah. and you know we talk about the aesthetic dimension mm. of, spir- of spirituality, and yeah. and this is a really interesting. It's a really interesting point. Now, now, I think there yeah. there is something. You know, there's something about stepping into something that's completely different to the uh, outside world, yeah. Yeah. but you know, at the same time, there's also something about are speaking in the idiom of our culture. Now, one of the problems with that tradition is it's so esoteric. People have no idea what anything means, and mm-hmm. and and so it's a um, it's not necessarily intelligible mm-hmm. to uh, to the culture. But yet, anyway, there's a there's a whole other. But you, the problem the problem with it though, <laughs> gonna, I know we're going to get. I'll, I'll, I'll let you go back on trucking in here. I reckon that's I reckon that's important because there's we're going to be here all day. Steve. There is yeah. something in the yeah. middle. That's all right. How long? <laughs> Well, some of us have got jobs, Colin. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll um, give you. So, but there is a there's a, there's a sense of which the, the, it's right. Either either one of those extremes, I think, has validity in it. Yeah. But there is a problem, I think, if you make it too sensory as well, is that that actually becomes what you're seeking. It's almost a fulfilment yeah. of it in itself, and that's it. Almost replaces. That becomes the be, idol it itself. Becomes, yeah, the experience it, becomes, it becomes God yeah. rather than a tool mm. because yeah. I can enter into that place and I feel like I'm yeah. in the presence yeah. of God yeah. because it is so different yeah. and I've mm. stepped into heaven. Mm. There's a day. Anyway, I'll let you get back on track. <laughs> Go, oh, Matt. I could, that's, Over to you, Matt. Lots of great stuff to, <laughs> yeah. to discuss there and maybe we'll come back to that one day. So so let me let me picture this. Let me uh, move to, towards a picture here that I think brings some of this together because I've talked about – I've talked about theology and and the mystery and the way I think uh, and of course all I should really uh, be clear here because that all metaphors fall short. Okay, so don't never push these metaphors uh, too far. But it's a little bit like islands in an ocean, and and uh, and I guess 
islands, you know, islands are where, you know, where the earth sort of pushes above the water and then, and then, you know, you, you get the ocean floor and, and around an island, there are parts of the, uh, of the ocean floor that you can see and then it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and then it sort of recedes into, you know, uh, out of visibility. And I think Christian doctrine, what we're told in scripture and what we uh, can know clearly is a little bit like islands in an ocean. Mm. Um, the major doctrines of the Christian faith, uh, you know, um, the you know the do- doctrines around who God is mm. and the attributes, the person and nature of God, and uh, the the perp the, the nature and purpose of humanity, and um, the persons of God, the you know Trinitarian uh, ideas around the Trinity, mm. and the work of Christ, and then the the person and work mm. of Christ, and and you know the doctrines of salvation, you know how how we're saved, and and you know faith and justification, and and the you know the about around the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit, and then around the doctrines around the place of the church, and then uh, around uh, you know um, our hope in uh, not only in in, in in our individual future beyond death, uh, but also the future of the world and the return of Christ and the mm-hmm. new heavens, new you know new earth, and new creation. Mm-hmm. So they, these are things that are all clearly taught yeah. in Scripture. So they're mm-hmm. like islands, right? Mm-hmm. One of the one of the problems uh, I think happens when we think that there's no space in between those islands or no mystery. Actually, I mean, and this is where th- there's even within those, there's, there are elements of mystery yeah. within those beliefs. I mean, the Trinity is a classic mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much mystery in that. It's mm-hmm. great. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and, but it is a little bit like, you know, we, we have these islands coming out of the ocean, but we don't know what's connecting them all together. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the things with, theology as a discipline is that it's fallen again and again, or, or, or people in doing theology, I should say, have fallen into the trap of wanting to be too logical with it all, you know, sort of logically fit it all together. This is one of the, now, I mean, systematic theology has a really important place because mm. it, we define our beliefs. It's really mm. important to define our terms. What do we mean by faith and mm. justification? And what do we mean, we, we mean when we talk about God and the nature of God? And what do we mean uh, when we talk about, you know, who is Jesus? You know, who do people say that? I'm? It's very important that we're clear on these mm-hmm. things. And systematic theology is about being systematically clear on the definitions of all of those which things. Is, which is like, to use your analogy, which is like mapping out, or metaphors, is yeah. mapping out yeah. the islands. That's right. What's, mm-hmm. out of, what's the shape of that island? What's uh, exactly. That island? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Re- re- really important. I think one of the things that can happen then is that we, we can think that, therefore, there's nothing else but the but those islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and or, or even we can fail to recognize that there are other things, even things in Scripture that Scripture suggests that we're not really mm-hmm. told a lot about, and we can try things that remain below the surface, maybe mm. murky things. And and I think what we try to do is we try to map those areas mm. as well. Mm. And you know, famously, you know, I mean, this was the case with trying to over map these ideas of the Trinity. Well, how do they work? To, mm-hmm. You know, ha- and and trying to explain logically how all that fits together when yeah. actually, you know. You can't really. You just. We just don't know. And this is not something even the language can do, right? Yeah. Uh, because language is limited to logic. But God is not limited to space-time logic. Yeah. So another classic example is, you know, the the great debate between 
uh, God's uh, foreknowledge or, or the idea of predestinate. There's yeah. a sense, some mysterious sense, as it talks about in Ephesians, of you know God predestined us to you know and so forth. So trying to stick to your metaphor, it's a bit like trying to draw a map of an island whilst you're standing on the island and you can't get above it to see. So you're, you're trying mm. to map it out on what you can see. Yeah. Yeah, you can't see the whole picture. But yeah, really well, what, one see. of the, one of the problems. Just so yeah. let, let me just finish. Yeah, what, what I just what I was going to say with that issue because, again, you know, the Bible clearly teaches that our choices matter. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yet at the same time, God's choice seems yeah. to be you know seems to reign supreme. So how does free will and our true responsibility yeah. for our decisions coexist with God's, God's sovereignty, sovereignty in predestination mm-hmm. and? People try to fit those things logically because, like, we have to connect the islands, right? We have to know how those islands mm-hmm. are connected. And so this is where you get these views. Some people will reject one for the other. Mm-hmm. They'll re- know, well, I, I, no, I need to reject this truth because it can't I can't see how yeah. they can fit together. Yeah. And and so you get theologies uh, like Arminianism that try to try to say, well, I'll we'll interpret predestination in a way that that preserves that still allows it to make sense. So it's just God foreknowing. It's got nothing to do with. And, and I mean, the problem with that is that they're trying to make it too logical. And it's the same with a form of, and I'm going to talk, I'm going to call it hyper-Calvinism, mm-hmm. that says, well, yes, God predestines everything. It doesn't matter what we choose, mm-hmm. almost, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, Calvin didn't. At some points, he goes a little bit too far with logical, logical deductions, mm-hmm. um, personally. But uh, on the whole, I think he preserves a great mm. deal of the mystery. But I think you look at it as a bit of a lens as how I approach it, having looked at both of those sort of different theological standpoints. Mm. I kind of think, as you say, the hyper-Calvinism is really problematic. Yeah. I mean, I know those on that side of the theological debate would vigorously defend that, but I yeah. think that's where the problem is. I think if you were to look through that lens and not be totally committed really isolating yourself Mm. on that particular island but saying recognizing that god actually has a lot to do with bringing us um to faith in christ yeah to me personally i probably lean more on that side because Mm. it actually puts the emphasis back on god doing the work rather than me me doing the work and i think that's a i think that's a healthy position to come from but i think putting standing too hard and that grabbing hold of that particular theological island too literally and committing to it too strongly is hard so i kind of i try to look at it through that kind of lens but not not be willing to totally commit myself to that yeah, that's right. And again, let's not push the metaphor no. too far. Yes. I'm just—it's trying to, I guess, a better way of describing, you know, the, the relationship between what is clear, the islands that come out of the ocean, yep. mm. what is murky. It's mm. the, the what lies around uh, the island. I know this is simplistic, yep. but also, and then what's completely out of view. Yeah. So, you know, another example is the sort of end times stuff. There's this classic debates yep. around how it's all going to unfold and. You know, people take areas where the Bible is deliberately murky, and I say deliberately murky because, you know, particularly the book of Revelation uses this deliberately cryptic language, yeah. and it's deliberately cryptic because, you know, if, uh, it's it's trying to veil something as well as reveal something, you know, and 
trying to fill in the details and make what is murky clear it doesn't yeah. serve the text. That's not serving the meaning of the text. Mm-hmm. There are things that clearly are clearly depicted in the book of Revelation. You know, the ultimate victory of, you know, the ultimate consummation mm-hmm. of the kingdom, uh, you know, the, the great judgment, the, the return of Christ, uh, the new heavens and the new earth. These are all really clear things. And I think... One of the great things about the book of Revelation is that it it does this wonderful job of letting the mystery stay under the ocean under mm-hmm. the ocean whilst allowing the islands clearly to yeah. rise out of that. I think almost the whole New Testament's like that. Well, the really. whole Bible's like that. I mean, I think of more of even the New Testament because that's where we kind mm-hmm. of really more of doctrine was revealed in terms of the Trinity and and Jesus and his nature and redemption and through that. So I feel like probably in the New Testament, things got a lot more complicated theologically, perhaps. I guess in the Old Testament, it was a little bit simpler in the sense that there was one God and he had his laws and you just had to follow the prescription. And and I think most people could sort of wrap their head around that. But in the New Testament, there was like a kind of opening of revelation to go, well, this is actually what God, we can see more of what God is like as revealed through yeah. the revelation that sort of Jesus gave us mm. and, and so on. And then the question of, of who is Jesus, you mm. know, and that's the Trinity <clears throat> and things kind of emerge. But even when you listen to Jesus talking, there's things that I would have thought, thought it would be really handy if he could have actually completely outlined the doctrine of the Trinity mm-hmm. you know, right in there and even given it the name Trinity, yeah. you know, and, and so on, because it would save a whole lot of debate and, you know, people sort of pondering, what did he mean by that? You yeah. know, when, he, but when I look at the whole thing, you know, the whole thing kind of feels like a bit of a mystery. He's deliberately leaving out. It's kind of pointing to certain things yeah. to say these are the things that are true Mm. But I'm not going to go into detail in explaining how all of that. Yeah, and this, this I guess, brings us to the nature and purpose of these teachings mm. uh, of the Bible, because it's not a, it's not given to us as a catalogue or encyclopedia of reality. Um, it is the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I'm not, but it, but it's not an exhaustive encyclopedia of reality. Yeah. I. Uh, I, I heard a, a Christian teacher, one well, who shall remain uh, nameless, but fairly famous, w- almost like hyper-conservative, said, if you want to know anything about anything, I mean, and talk about like science or, or physics right. or math, it's you only look in the Bible. It's like the encyclopedia of reality. Yeah. Mm. And, and I thought, well, see, this is... This is a big problem because yeah. it's not that. No. It's, it's, no. It tells the truth. It gives us the islands and it says live on these islands, right? Mm, yeah. we, we live on the basis of what we're told in Scripture, you know, and we, we, we live our lives as, you know, Paul says the, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, right? We live in an understanding of who God is and who Jesus is and what he's done and who we are in him and, you know, what's coming, you know, our hope for the future and what God is doing now in the present. You know, these are really clear things mm-hmm. right, that are taught in Scripture, and we live on that. The problem is is that you can get caught up in speculation about all the murky areas, and and it's just endless speculation. We're warned against this in the New Testament. Yeah. Don't get caught up in endless controversies yeah. and speculations. You know, just Paul, Paul says that to Timothy, and uh, in, in a couple of 
places. It warns against that. Mm. And, and so there's endless speculations about, you know, about what lies, you know, those murky areas and, and you know, about end time stuff and exactly how mm. what's described in Genesis 1 unfolded and is it this or is it that. And could I suggest... Churches divide exactly, over this stuff. Say, yeah. Could I suggest that's probably, you know, the stuff that divides the church the most oh, is, yeah. is arguing about stuff that no one really knows the answer to. And instead of focusing on what unites us, what yeah. we all fully agree on. But isn't know. that the whole point? All these things weren't clearly revealed in Scripture, but what you take away from it, these are the things that are actually important, yeah. and all of the other stuff isn't. Like there's the, the whole story from beginning to end is important. The things that Jesus told us in, yeah. in, in Scripture, they're the thing, things that he taught us clearly are important. They're the important things. And, mm. and the rest of it is, is really not that important. In, it, not important in the sense of... Uh, how, well, we're, how, to, we're, how we're to live our lives. Or yep. The other thing in there too, when we talk about logic and trying to connect everything together logically, to me, the biggest logical bridge I can build is to say that we're talking about God here. Logically, I shouldn't even be able to understand it. No, why, no, that's why right. logically, it's completely yeah. illogical to say that I should be able to logically understand, understand. like take the Trinity. We're dealing with God, the nature of God. There's absolutely no way logically that I'll ever be able to. I wouldn't expect to. And if I could, it should even ring, put some red flags up and say that potentially then it is a human concept. It should be completely... Well, let's, let, let's, let's talk about then the inherent limits of language, of course. And um, but but let me ju- before we do, and remind me to go into that. Yeah, I'm, I will. Before I get you. off off track, you know, a, again, I just because practically, I, like, there's a practical point to make here, and because it particularly in our time where we're all we're, we define ourselves by our opinions on things, yeah. and. Um, particularly how our opinions differ from other people's opinions. And, you know, in the church, there's all these isms that are based on things that are murky, you know, in the, in the murky waters. And we endlessly speculate about, you know, about this. And, and, you know, even people come to me, Matt, what do you think about, like, you know, the, the millennium and the rapture? And, you know, where, where do you stand on that? So what do you think, Matt? And, and, I, and I say, <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I think it could be this or it could be that. I do know that Jesus is going to come back. I, like, I know, I know what's clear, and, and I have this wonderful hope that's shaped by Revelation, these other parts of Scripture that talk about the future. But I don't feel like I need to have a stand or have a clearly – like, it, I don't think it does any justice no. to the grey areas in Scripture to make them black and white. No. Now, I think to understand – the murky areas or the grey areas is to understand that they are grey areas and not try to make them black but and white. That's a good thing in a way for it to be grey. That because a lot of people stop, stop just speculating about it endlessly and arguing about but it. A lot of people get that actually get excited about. It. It's almost the thing that excites them in their Christian. Oh, yeah, yeah. Faith is actually the end times. You know, there's a certain excitement around that and you can come fixated on it. I look at it myself. Well, well it's and, good to be excited about Jesus coming back, but, but, but that particular, about particular theory, viewpoint yeah. and, you know, the order of what event's going to happen here and, you know, one thing's going to happen here and here and here and here and who's going to be the Antichrist and, and they spend all of the time thinking about this stuff and you can get sucked into yeah. this kind of and you people know, people th- make careers based on this stuff. Yeah. That's right. People make their reputations based th- and this is one of the problems uh, is that a lot of damaging sects or cults mm-hmm. 
often focus on murky areas. On they, and, and you've got some teachers who say, oh, I will tell you yeah. what's under the ocean. I'm, I have this special access to it. Mm-hmm. I will tell you what revelation. This is talking about this and that and that. And they... I mean, people love that stuff because yeah. it's like, oh, man, I've never heard. It's so convincing. them. They feel like they're scuba diving. I know what's under there, you know, yeah. because this teacher has – and it's always a problem. And YouTube yeah. is packed with this yeah, stuff. Right. And it, it gets yeah. people speculating. It divides people. It's pointless speculation. <laughs> and, and, and what are you going to do about being Christ's witness tomorrow? Yeah. And the more, the world, yeah, you end you know? up being more excited about these murky exactly right. issues than you are about – the thing that you were meant to exactly. be excited about mm. in the first place. But yeah. having said that, there is something about the grey areas, I think, like just speculating in a healthy way and thinking about it and sitting back and looking at, I wonder what God is going to do. Or I wonder what was well, meant. Well, it indicates, let me say this, uh, it indicates that there is more to it. That's the, that's what the wonderful thing about where, where you, you, you see the ocean floor gradually dissipating into blackness and yeah. you th- oh, there's more. It reminds us that there is mystery there. Yeah. But we're not necessarily, we don't live in the unknown. No. We're called to live in the known, understanding that we're surrounded by the unknown. Yes. In that sense. And it's like when you step outside, and the stars are shining when you stand up and look up at the yeah. universe and it just goes on and on and on and you sort of think of what you're well, we actually literally are, you're looking yeah, you're yeah. looking out and you think what's the point of even of all of this but i kind of think a lot of that's there for us to stand there and and wonder and wonder at it yeah. Yeah. i think wondering yeah. is actually one of the gifts that God gives us is, yeah. is to is to wonder he gives us these things to give us a, a bit of a glimpse yeah, into something much, much, much bigger mm-hmm. yeah. that, than ourselves and the things around us. And yeah. I, I find you just staring up into space and, and pondering and, that. And, and I think thing. on the space thing, well, you know, even now as we hear more and more, the more we think we know, the more we discover we don't know. You know, yeah. it, all the things coming from the new telescope that's out there and we thought we knew this and it's, now everything's in question again. And mm. but, but Matt, keen to come back to this language yeah. thing. I'm just mindful of time and yeah. we've done a great intro to this podcast, which is going to finish fairly <laughs> yeah. no, no, soon. No, uh, but that, that, that's what that, 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 this was my plan to talk about That's all good. of this. That's good. Um, uh, because I think this points to uh, how we actually know the truth, and and sometimes we can think that if we memorize all of the the theological formulas, you know, memorize the creeds and the confessions of faith, and then we know the truth. Well, uh, the role of language is it, it's it's to give us access. To this reality, mm-hmm. it's it's like a language is like a and, and Christian doctrine expressed in language. I mean, language is 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 a wonderful gift of God. I mean, it's acknowledged in uh, contemporary philosophy that we understand everything linguistically. Um, so, you know, everything is filtered through our language. You know, we divide the world up. We distinguish this from that, and so the way we look at things is uh, affected by. The linguistic structure of, of our minds, and that's mm. a fairly esoteric philosophical point. But some people, you know, some philosophers say, well, so we don't have access to reality at all. You know, we just, it's like we're almost blinded by our language. Mm-hmm. But actually, um, I think as Christians, we would say that language has been given to us uh, by God mm. as a, re- it's, it's actually a relational, it's something that we use in relationships to communicate with each other. And, because uh, we were created for relationships, and language is something yeah. is for that purpose. 
and God communicates to us in, in language. It's, you know, the Bible, it's the truth, but it's not given to us as an encyclopedia of reality. It's like a love letter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's God's message to us to show us who he is and what he's done for us and, mm-hmm. and his purpose for us and where we're going and to tell us who we are and how much he loves us. And it's important to read scripture like this, not just as this to form the right theories of, of reality. Now, I think it's important to have the right picture of reality and in fact, in this podcast, we talk about that. We talk about the importance of that. Okay, So uh, having the right beliefs is important, but there's a massive gap between the theory and the reality. And in, in a way, the, the Christian doctrines that we believe are like a sort of a two-dimensional doorway to a three-dimensional reality. And mm. the purpose is to draw us into that reality and for us to go through the doorway and discover these things. You know, those experiences where you sort of know about you know certain doctrine or something and then you experience an element of that's like oh that's what this is you know yeah, yep. you, where you it really becomes three-dimensional mm, and it yes. becomes experiential and we would say it becomes real for me in mm, a sense mm. you know i knew the doctrine but now this is real mm. like i feel it I, that's right yeah, I yeah. It. you know like there was a point in my life where i knew about jesus and i wasn't really sure and it didn't make sense and you know it didn't make sense to my logical mind and what god coming in in mm. you know as a human but that's just absurd you know and then you know as god got hold of my life i really you know, I had this experience of guilt and needing forgiveness, and you know, I called on the on Jesus and and received forgiveness, and I and I just understood in a way that went way beyond logic. Yeah. I just got it, and it's oh, almost impos- this is what Jesus exactly. is. This is who Jesus almost is. Almost impossible to explain. It's like I just know that I know that I know. You know, it's yeah. like, and you struggle to articulate how you explain that feeling yeah. of I know that I know that I yeah. know. Yeah, but know. the the teachings were important because yeah, when I made that decision, I had this fragmentary mm. knowledge yeah. uh, and knew very little. I mean, you know, when I became a Christian, like my mum had just become a Christian, she told me a little bit about it. I had fragments of stuff from my, because uh, I was in, in a, at a Catholic school at the time, and so stuff about Jesus and forgiveness and little fragments. And I just, but that was important, right? Mm. I needed to know totally. yeah. a certain amount to know that, that as I experienced that, that I could actually call on the name of Jesus and there was something forgiveness there to be received, mm-hmm. you know. And so the doctrines are really important yeah, totally. and it's really important that we understand what we believe and it's and it's why we do mm-hmm. this. It's why yeah, we exactly talk right. about this stuff here, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's important to view reality through the lens, right? And the Bible is the lens, but on the other side of that lens is a reality, right? And mm-hmm. and we've actually you have to experientially enter into that reality. Right. It's not just about believing the right things. Yeah. We have to make decisions, right? And we have to step into it. And mm-hmm. and it's when you live in that reality and you orient your life around it and you you enter into prayer and 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 worship with other believers and, mm-hmm. and you, you you start to actually love people and do the things that God tells us to do, it's you access it in this holistic sort of way and gradually you discover, oh man, this yeah. is so true, you know, because yeah. you're yeah. actually accessing it, yeah. not through just an intellectual yeah. grid, but you're making decisions and stepping into it and it becomes more and more real as you do this. Jesus says, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it, a statement in John chapter 7, you know, where he says, if you want to know that what I'm saying is true, is from mm. God, then do what I say. And then you'll see that it's true. So that seems to be why there's so much mystery in the way that the Bible is written, because that's exactly how it needs to be. Mm. Like it's logically, it's never going to be logically comprehensible to us. We're going to hit the language barrier pretty quickly, especially when we're talking about concepts of God and what God 
really is like and what the real depth of the consequences and what the, of the theology and doctrine that sits behind the little fragments that were actually mm. revealed to us. But I think that's the whole point is that they're lo- almost like keys. We just have to understand it and study it and then we can understand it from a, a logic point of view as far as we can. We can understand the words and the language and how it's mm. presented but the amazing thing about how it's written is there is an experience side of it. Yeah, It's given us the keys that we reveal to us what we actually really need to know yeah. now but then there's faith which says we also just need to live in it and we need to step That's into right. it mm. believing it and believing it's true and step into it in order to experience that revelation beyond That's that. Right. And this is, comes right back to where we, you know, we started and we, many podcasts ago talking about the multiple dimensions mm, and mm, the yeah. entering the sacred and, and, and so on. That's the whole sacred dimension. There's things that are just going to be outside of our language and logic, but there's a way for us to access it. Yeah. Mm. If, if that's all that we, we go by, logic, and that's where a lot of people will stand and look at God and say, I have to logically understand everything yeah. in order for me to take yeah. a step of faith, you'll never be able to get there because... Well, there is no step of faith. You can't... Mm. If, you've got to, if you can explain everything logically, there is no step mm. of faith. Yeah, I mean, that's right, because faith is stepping into, into, into this mystery that that's right. can't be just reduced to a formula. But mm. I have a to take a formula. step. I have to take the truths that I know... Mm. I think for faith to work, there has to be a good reason mm. for to back why I think those things are yeah. true, and I, I believe that as a, totally. a, strongly as a principle yeah. that mm. it has there has to be a logical connection between them. I can't, you know, that in order to meet to be able to have faith in something, I have to think that they're they're reasonable to you know to a, to a yeah. point. They have to, there has to be something behind them that makes me think that they're they're, yeah. they're true. Yeah, and then I kind of take that step of faith. Mm. I'm actually going to put my life on these things. That's what mm. I'm going to build my, my life on. Mm. And that's that step of faith that leads you into the experiential consequences of the of the things that mm. you knew to be revealed to you through language mm. and logic. You experience at a deeper level that you could never put into words. Yeah, that's or, right. Or logic. Exactly. And that's where you get the complete picture. And I think for a lot of people, they want to stand back and wait till it makes sense before they step in and i think uh, a big the big takeaway from this discussion is that point about faith that there's a way of knowing and really the only way of knowing is to step into this by faith mm. the only way to know god is to let god be your god receive the invitation that we're given through jesus christ and take that step and make that decision and let God be the God of your life and surrender to him. And it's only when we do that that we can even begin to know. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. A topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.